would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 5. We're going to focus on verse 9 today as we move into a new series looking at what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. These words from Jesus about how it is we are to pray. So listen as I read to you from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do come before you and we are so thankful that you have given us this instruction that comes from the very lips of our Savior. We pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit that we would understand what it means to be your children. That we would understand what it means to call you our Father. That we would understand what it means that you are in heaven. And that as we reflect on these things that you would fill us with hope and strength, courage, joy, and a greater sense of your grace and mercy to us in the gospel. And so we would be your people in holiness and truth in this week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me take a poll. I won't ask you to raise your hands, mostly because I don't think anybody will be able to. How many of us would say that we consider ourselves to be an excellent uh, expert with prayer. That we always know what we, to, what we ought to pray for. And that we always know how we should pray. And that we pray all the time without ceasing. Anyone? Of course not. None of us would raise our hand in our own minds to answer that question in the affirmative. None of us thinks of ourselves as excellent experts in prayer. We all know, somewhat painfully so, that we need help in prayer. And God knows that as well. And He gives us the help that we need. He gives us help in prayer as a grace to us. Here we have these words that come straight from the lips of our Savior Himself as He gives us a model, an example, a how-to lesson in how we ought to be praying. He gives us help with how we ought to structure our prayers. He, He helps us in what we ought to be including in the content of our prayers, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And we say it every Sunday here at Trinity. And so it makes sense that we should take some time to pause and to reflect on the various parts of this prayer, to understand what we are saying, what we are praying when we pray this every week. 
This is not just something we ought to pray on Sundays, but the Lord has given us a model here for uh, or a tool for what we can be using all the time in how we ought to pray. So for the rest of the summer, we're going to spend our time looking and studying the Lord's Prayer. As we do so, we're going to see that it breaks up nicely into very specific parts. Today, we're going to just be looking at the preface. Our Father in Heaven. Uh, In the coming weeks and over the coming months, we're going to be looking at the six petitions that we see in the Lord's Prayer. Three are specifically about and oriented toward the Lord. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And then we'll also see that there are three petitions that are more oriented toward us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. And then we'll finish by looking at what is the conclusion or some even refer to as a benediction of this Uh, Prayer for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But today we're going to be looking at the preface. These first words, our father in heaven, they are meant to prepare us. They they are meant to help us to be ready to approach the Lord in a right way. They, They set the tone. They set the perspective that we are to have as we come to the Lord's prayer. Jesus says here in verse nine, pray then. Like this, the word that Jesus uses there for pray is a verb and it's in the imperative. In other words, this is not just a suggestion. This is not just a good idea. This is Jesus telling us pray like this as a command. So let's look and see three important things from these first words. The preface we will see that God is our father. And we'll also see that God is our Father who is in heaven. And then lastly, that He is our Father. So first of all, we pray to our Father. Now, that really should be an amazing thing to you. And if you're a Christian and have been a Christian for a long time, and that doesn't grip your imagination and hearts, it should. The idea... That we get to call the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all that is seen and unseen, our Father. He gives us that very precious, intimate designation to use and commands us to call Him our Father. Jesus telling us this in these words, in these verses, was not an entirely new idea. There are a handful of times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as a father. We saw one in our call to worship earlier in the service in Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his people. There are a handful of times when God is referred to as a father. But what is new with Jesus's words here in Matthew is that he is telling us that we are to call God our father. We're not just thinking of God as being referred to as a father. We are to reach out and to call out to him as our father. So as with the arrival and the ministry of Jesus, we gain a deeper understanding of what this means. That it is true, that it is a reality, that if we are in Christ, we are in a family relationship with the creator of the universe. And he calls us to call on him as our father. To do that, 
to call God our Father assumes the gospel is true. Now, what does that mean? Well, in one sense, it is true that all people created are God's children. All have been created by Him. All are created for His glory. And all are created in His image. But there is another sense in which it is only those who have had their hearts regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who have embraced the gospel of grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and have been adopted into the family of God, that are given that very special name, Father, Abba, Father, to cry out to. The gospel, through the gospel, we have been adopted into God's family. We have been made heirs with Christ Jesus and we have been given an inheritance of eternal life. And so Jesus calls on his disciples to pray to God as their father because they have embraced the gospel. They have been adopted into the very family of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith dedicates a chapter to the idea of adoption. Chapter 12. And in that chapter, they explain what the Bible teaches about this idea of being adopted into God's family, to be able to call God our Father. They say that it's because we've been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and have been taken into God's family that we have Him as our Father. And because we are His adopted children, we enjoy all the liberties and the privileges of being a child of God. We have His name put upon us. We have received His Holy Spirit. He has given us access to His throne of grace. And He calls us to come to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, with great boldness. He protects us. He provides for us. He disciplines us. And He cares for us as a tender, loving Father does. We will never be cast out. We will never be forsaken. That's because the gospel is true. The gospel tells us that God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, went to the cross and he was forsaken by his father so that those who are in Christ will never be forsaken. Rather, we are sealed to the very day of redemption when we will receive our full inheritance of salvation. All of this is true and all of this is what is meant to be in our hearts and our minds when we pray to the Lord and we address him as our father. And because that is true, brothers and sisters in Christ, it must impact how we pray. We should come with confidence because we are loved and cared for more than anything we could ever understand or imagine. We should pray with confidence that because we know that our Father knows us. He sees us. He knows our weaknesses and our needs and He strengthens us. We should pray with confidence knowing that our Father protects us. That He will never lose us. That He will always guard us. We should pray with confidence knowing that our Father provides for our every need. And that we can trust that He will do so. We should pray with confidence because we have the privilege and the blessing of being a redeemed child of God. And we are secured and he enjoys over us forever. All of this is what's wrapped up in Jesus's command for us to pray, addressing God as our father and brothers and sisters in Christ. If we really believe that this was true and this was truly permeating our thoughts and our hearts as we went to the Lord in prayer, how would our prayers be different? They would be full of thanksgiving and hope. 
we would come to our Father in heaven with a sense of intimacy. We would come to Him with humility and sorrow for our sin against Him. And we would come to Him with joy because of His grace in the gospel and a confidence and a boldness in what we would request to Him. We would never be afraid to come to our Father and confess our sins and hear His forgiveness to bring our needs and our desires and our wants to Him. And in fact, it would be the very first thing that we do rather than an afterthought. We are to pray to our Father. Jesus also tells us that we are to pray to our Father who is in heaven. He gives this truth that God our Father is in heaven. He gives us this truth to remind us that not only is God our Father, not only do we have that intimate access to our Abba Father, but He is also the sovereign, transcendent God in heaven. Yes, He is our Father, but He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, perfect, holy, and righteous and majestic Lord God Almighty. We pray with a sense of intimacy because God is our Father, and we pray with reverence because He is the God who is in heaven. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted above all things. He is rightly worshipped and glorified by all of His saints by angelic beings and by His creation. He is the Lord God Almighty that Isaiah caught a vision of in heaven itself as he saw angelic beings, seraphim, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as those words cross the lips of those angelic beings, the thresholds of the throne room of heaven shook. A.W. Pink was born in the late 19th century in England and served in the United States as a Bible teacher and author and pastor in the early 20th century. And as he was reflecting on these two truths, that God is our Father and that He is the transcendent God in heaven, he said these words. What a blessed balance this gives us to the previous phrase that God is our Father. If that tells us of God's goodness and grace, this speaks of his greatness and majesty. If that teaches us of his of the nearness and dearness of the relationship that he has to us, this announces his infinite elevation above us. If the words our father inspire confidence and love, then the words which are in heaven should fill us with humility and awe. These are two things that should ever occupy our minds and engage our hearts. The first without the second tends toward unholy familiarity. The second without the first produces coldness and dread. By combining them together, we are preserved from both evils and a suitable balance is wrought and maintained in the soul as we daily contemplate both the mercy and the might of God, His unfathomable love and His immeasurable loftiness. Fatherly love on the one hand and transcendent greatness on the other, both are equally true and needed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we would have a sense of the otherness of God, of the transcendence of God as we come to pray to Him, It would impact how we pray. It would keep us from an irreverent flippancy. 
Empty words and phrases. Thoughtless, hollow words. That's actually something that Jesus addresses here in verse 7 of chapter 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, he says. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with repetition. We see repetition in the Psalms. God calls us to repeat various things about the, the truth of who he is, his character and his nature. But when we repeat things thoughtlessly or out of habit or out of laziness, then we are failing to have an understanding of the transcendence of God who is in heaven. It is right. It is good. It is important for us to have a reverential, loving fear for the Lord as we come to him and pray. Not only would it help us to get away from an irreverent flippancy, we will also pray with a sense of peace and hope and confidence and boldness as we recognize that the God that we pray to is the one true God who's in heaven. He is the one who is reigning and ruling over all of his creation. He is the one who has all sovereign power and absolute goodness at his disposal. We know that the Lord is able to do all things. That he answers our prayers according to his perfect and sovereign will. And that there is nothing that is beyond his ability. There is no problem. There is no trial. There is no difficulty that we might encounter in this world that he is powerless against. Not even Satan himself can snatch us from our fathers and our father in heaven's hand. Satan can't do anything to us unless somehow it is part of God's the Lord's sovereign and good plan for our lives. So we pray to our father. We pray to our father in heaven. And thirdly, we pray to our father. Now that's a little word, our it's the, a little word in English. It's a little word in Greek. But we know, it, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to take that for granted. It's easy to just kind of gloss over that little word. But we know that every word that comes from Jesus' lips is important. Think of it this way. As Jesus was giving his disciples this model of prayer for them to follow, he could have said, pray then like this. My Father... Who is in heaven. But that's not what he chose to do. It's certainly true. We pray to our Father in heaven, but we pray to our Father in heaven. He is reminding us of the important truth that because individual Christians are united to Christ by faith, we are therefore united to one another. We have been forever connected to one another. We are called out by the Lord to be the body of Christ. Each one of us a part. Each one important and valued. And we have a commitment to one another. We are bound together by a covenantal promise that has been made by the Lord and secured through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we believe and had an understanding of that truth when we go to the Lord to pray and we say, Our Father, it would impact how we pray. As our confession of faith earlier in the service reminded us, that one of the truths of this, this part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven, is that we ought to be praying with and for others. We ought to pray with one another. 
It is good. It is important. It is necessary that we pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We do that in our Sunday services. But you need to be doing that at other times as well, in your family time, in uh, your small groups, at youth group, the other times that you gather together with other believers in Christ. You are to pray with one another, a sense of the fact that you come to the common Lord Jesus Christ. There's something important about being with one another and hearing one another praying and joining our hearts and our minds together in those prayers. Doing so is meant to fill us with a hope and a strength and an encouragement and a greater love for our mutual Savior. I would suggest to you that this idea of praying with one another has been tested and strained over the last 15 months, hasn't it? And I'm not just speaking about the fact that we haven't been always been able to be together. As we've gone through the last 15 months, some of the differences that we have politically and socially and medically, even in our convictions, have been polarized. Differing convictions and ways of viewing the world and even the place of where conscience becomes burdened has been different for many of us. And in the midst of that reality, there is the possibility that we would allow important but secondary issues to cause us to lose sight of the spiritual reality that we are one in Christ. There may be many things that brothers and sisters in Christ don't completely have unity on or agreement in, but that doesn't change the reality of the fact that we are united to one another because we are united to our Savior. Now, there's a broad sense and a narrow sense of that as well. In the broadest sense, we are brothers and sisters with Christ in Christ with anybody uh, that is that is a that is put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People around the world, people that we will never have the opportunity to meet as we go about our week, as we uh, go to the store, as we serve uh, our patients, as we do whatever we're doing, we might be passing by other believers in Christ that we don't even know. And the truth is, is that spiritually, even though we don't know them, we are still connected to them because we are united in our faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a broad sense in which this is true. We can't be in agreement with the, the broadest sense uh, in, in very deep ways. But as we get more narrow, as we get closer, as we talk more about our specific family, our church, that fellowship, that community deepens and is strengthened. As we think about that narrow sense, there should be very few things on a list that would cause that unity to be ripped apart. Every Sunday, we gather and worship and as we do so, we say the Lord's Prayer. And we say, Our Father. And as we do that, can I just give you permission, as if you needed it from me? When we say the Lord's Prayer together, every once in a while, look up and open your eyes. Look around the room and recognize that when you say, Our Father, you are saying it together with a unified faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be reminded of that covenant community and commitment that we have with the other brothers and sisters in Christ that call this their church home. So not only should we be praying with one another, but we should also be praying for one another as we spend time together and as we pray with one another, we hear about the needs that our brothers and sisters in Christ have. 
And as we hear about those needs, as we hear about those desires, we are filled with an awesome sense of the privilege and the responsibility that we have to pray for them. Every time a brother or sister in Christ asks us to pray for them, we should consider it an honor and a true blessing to be able to pray for them. And we should take it seriously. And we should approach it with diligence. Can I just give you one very practical application here at this point? Uh, There should be some way that you gather together the requests that people ask for you to pray about. It could be as simple as a yellow pad and a pencil or pen. It could be a spreadsheet. There are apps online that are just for this purpose. But using some tangible means by which you can gather together the requests that you are given to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can pray for them diligently, faithfully, and you can see the Lord's work in their lives. Jesus gives us a command. He gives us an imperative. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Now, most of us don't know the name Robert Courtney. Robert Courtney was a pharmacist until August of 2001 when he was arrested. Courtney was charged with misbranding and tampering with the cancer drugs Taxil and Gimzar that he was giving to his patients. Basically, what he was doing was he was watering down the cancer drugs so that he could save money and put it in his own pocket. Once he was convicted, once he was uh, found out and he was arrested and he was convicted, he, he, he admitted to what he had done. And he said he had been diluting and watering down drugs for about 10 years. 4,200 patients, some of which had died. Over 400 doctors and 98,000 prescriptions. After his arrest, the government seized over $8 million in assets from him and his own church returned a $600,000 donation that he had given for their building project. Eventually, Courtney was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison where he still sits today and called to pay restitution of $10.4 million. Courtney watered down, needed medicine, the help that people needed. And as a result, many paid a dear price and failed to flourish as they might have otherwise. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how are our prayers weak and watered down? Ineffective. Robbing us of the spiritual nourishment and the strength and the grace that God has given them, the the prayer as a gift for us to have. It's probably much more than we would care to admit. And yet, God has given us this grace. He has given us the help that we need and that comes from the very lips of our Savior. This model, this tool, the content for gospel-centered prayer that is full of grace and truth. And so as we reflect, not just on the preface today, but as we go through the summer, let's be reminded of the wonderful truth of the gospel that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we are his very treasured children. And so he calls us to call out to him as our father. 
Let's be reminded that he is the sovereign, all powerful, transcendent and holy God of the universe who is in heaven and has all power and authority to answer our prayers. And let's be reminded that because we've been united in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to one another in love. That we have a bond of unity and fellowship. That we're given the privilege and responsibility to pray with and for one another. May we take this part of God's word to heart. And may we learn to pray with confidence and boldness to our Father who's in heaven. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for this means of grace that you've given to us. Prayer. We pray that you would forgive us for so often taking it for granted. We pray that you would forgive us for being indifferent about prayer. And we pray that you would fill us with a deepening desire to commune with you in prayer as our very own Father. Help us also to have a sense of your transcendence as we come to you, not only with an intimacy, but also with reverence. And then, Father, we pray that you would so encourage us the privilege that we have of coming to you together with a unified heart and voice as your very children. Encourage us for the ways that we need to pray with and for one another. Do all of this, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.